Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host. We got a great guest today, Dr. Nazani Moali, who is a clinical psychologist and founder of the Oasis to Care Center in Los Angeles. And today she's going to talk about something that I think is really important to look at. She's going to talk about moderation management and harm reduction in addiction treatment. So stay tuned and I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. It's good information. Before we go into that, I want to do a few housekeeping things. First off, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please go to iTunes and leave a review. That really helps us a lot. It gets us a lot more exposure to new listeners. So please do that if you can. Really appreciate it. Also, if you have any questions for me that you would like to hear on the Addicted Mind podcast, any questions that you want answered, please go to theaddictedmind.com. And right on the side is a, an ability to leave a voice message for me. Please leave it there. I will feature it on the podcast and answer your question, or I will find an expert that can answer your question. So please go ahead and do that. I'd really appreciate that as well. And let's get going with this episode. So welcome everybody to the Addicted Mind podcast. I'm excited for our guest today. Her name is Dr. Nazanin Moali, and uh, she is a clinical psychologist and founder of the Oasis to Care Center in Los Angeles, California. She's also a sex therapist and addiction specialist, and we were, um, we've known each other for a little bit here. I was actually on one of her podcasts, and um, uh, the Sexology podcast, and um, we were talking a little bit about addiction treatment and looking at the different models of addiction treatment, and we started talking a little bit more, and she mentioned about the moderation management and harm reduction model of addiction treatment. And so we decided to make a podcast episode and, and talk about this issue. So Dr. Uh, Moali, would you like to introduce yourself and kind of talk more about this? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me in this show. And I absolutely, this is a topic I feel very passionate to talk about because I know it is controversial. I'm a psychologist. I work at IOP, like partial hospitalization programs with the high focus on the fact that some of those programs 
the goal was abstinent and there was no uh, flexibility around the outcome. And that now that I have my private practice, I realized that many people are more responsive to treatment if we present them the different kind of uh, treatment, which can be uh, reduced risk use or harm reduction model. And uh, I would absolutely be happy to talk more about different options. Yeah, I think that I think that that would be really good. I think our listeners would really want to know about more about it because I think in the United States, the model is really the abstinence model. And in Europe, it tends to be more the harm reduction model. So what I'd like to do just for our guests is kind of talk about what those two things are first and kind of define them so people understand uh, what we're we're kind of talking about. And would you like to go into that? Yeah, sure. So with absence model, the goal is that you don't engage any in any kind of a uh, use if it's substances. For for example, uh, well, one of the well-known approaches through like twelve-step programs that you accept that you're an alcoholic and you're not you're not going to drink alcohol. Or if opioid is an issue, uh, some of the advocates of abstinence model they're against using methadone or uh, any kind of different ways to address the problem. And um, and if there is a for example, if food is an issue, uh, some people think if the abstinent would be not engaging any kind of a high-risk food, so you're th- you would you will have to if you're going the abstinent model, we will go to the very rigid uh, kind of a di- di- dietary plan. So, and I think it's right. different for di- like behavioral addictions versus on substance addiction. We can definitely talk about that. But in the reduced risk model. The goal is for people to reduce the amount they're using. And uh, so the goal is to kind of uh, make commitment to not engage in a problematic uh, amount that you were using and be more flexible around the amount of the use. And the reason that I find that it's helpful is because I was looking at statistics and CDS showed, for example, one in 10 deaths in the United States, uh, in, among adults, is due to excessive alcohol consumptions. And this, with this model, we can help people to at least uh, reduce their uh, problematic drinking or substance use. Wow, I, I didn't even know that that statistic. That's that's pretty profound. I had no idea. Um, so, like, um, can you give me an example of like if uh, if someone who was struggling with alcohol and they were going to do the the moderation management, harm reduction, what what would that maybe look like? Sure. Uh, so we would start with uh, setting a goal. I think it's important to be very clear about uh, where are you in the continuum of use because some people are in the uh, areas of like problematic uh, drinking area, but they're not necessarily an addiction part. So it's very important to assess where you are in that area, based on the uh, like the record that we have that uh, shows that like four drinks if you're engaged if you're a man and you're drinking more than four standard drinks and I'm emphasizing standards because it's important right, to right. assess how much you're drinking so four standard drinks per episode and if you're a woman that you are drinking more than three standard drink you're doing binge drinking. 
So you're already okay. in the gray area and you don't want to drink, um, like if you are drinking more than eight drinks per week, you're considered in a heavy drinker area. So uh, the area, it's important to see where you are. And I always tell my clients that you have to start with examining and assessing how much you're drinking. And it's very important to be very detailed about it. For example, I, I give them the homework to do like next seven days, next 14 days. Uh, when you're right. drinking alcohol, make sure you're measuring it. So if you're using like very specific uh, amount of alcohol, if you're doing shot glasses, so you would know and record it. And then we'll go from there. So, so a person, just to make sure I understand, so a person who's doing that moderation management, instead of just saying, okay, you're not going to drink at all, let's, let's assess where you're at and let's really measure what's going on with the, with the goal to moderate that or the goal to uh, cut down or, or find something that works. Is that? Yeah, because at only 10% of people who, who have struggles with drug and alcohol, they get treatment, they come to treatment. And I know one of the biggest fear for many of them that they're not ready to commit to the abstinent model. So it gives them an alternative way of uh, receiving treatment. Right. And I, I see that a lot, uh, too, of people who come into our agency and, you know, they they see that they have a, a problem with uh, a substance or maybe a behavior. But, yeah, they're really not ready. And and um, it's almost better if they, you know, if they stay in treatment and you meet them where they're at. That seems what I, I seem to to have the best experience with and just say, OK, let's just explore what's going on and maybe look at it. Yes, and I feel with any kind of uh, compulsive behavior, one of the uh, important thing is to kind of assess people' motivation. I know there are certain times that their motivation is more. So if they are engaged in treatment and the motivation get more, then we can support them to maybe move toward the goal that's more is a better fit for them or sustain them where they are. Right, right. And then, um, you know, I was thinking as you're talking, one of the things when, you know, when I went and got my training, probably, you know, that was about 15 years ago, and uh, did a lot of my internship, I, I worked at a lot of um, treatment agencies that were very 12 step based, and very um, abstinence based model, like that was the model, if someone was not abstinence, they were not successful. And in even some of these places, they would um, discharge people from the program if they didn't meet those meet those goals, which always didn't quite sit right with me. Right, right. And interestingly, part of what really turned my attitude toward a harm reduction model was that the work I did in a methadone clinic. So okay. I, I was working as a therapist in a methadone clinic, and I was started very skeptical, kind of thinking, this is not working. Like, you know, we're just giving people different kind of substances. But I, but I, what I learned through my journey in that agency was that many people, uh, they used methadone and like long term, it helped them to uh, be at a place to be ready for a kind of like getting off opioid or manage their use. So these are the people who were heavy users. They were shooting heroin in the streets and now they were taking a safer kind of a medication, and it gave them more emotional uh, readiness in cer certain cases to be able to pursue treatment in a more meaningful way. Okay, so it gave them the room to kind of 
be able to kind of get ready for that deeper kind of treatment to really maybe reduce or even if they chose to be abstinence of it. Right. Okay. Wow. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, when, like I was saying earlier, uh, the, you know, there's a, there's kind of that pro abstinence model in the United States and in Europe, it's, it's much more a harm reduction model. Um, can we just talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. And I think um, I'm familiar with abstinence base. I've seen great results with that. And I can I agree that moderation is not for everyone. If you are someone, for example, who had years of uh, alcohol or like alcohol related problems, you were in and out of treatment, and now you you're sober and you're considering that like maybe moder I can go back to moderation. I don't recommend that. Because I believe if you're past a certain kind of invisible line with addiction, with the changes in the brain, you don't want to risk it with incorporating, going back to moderation. So I don't necessarily think moderation is the answer for everyone, but I think it's it's a very good answer for people who are uh, at high risk uh, and they're at risk drinkers, but they still, they're not necessarily at the addiction part of continuum. Okay, so so moderation management would work good with people who maybe they, they've not crossed that line, which, I, you know, when I'm working too, I, I kind of see that there, there are certain people that seem to really just have to have an abstinence-based model or they have a really hard time getting any kind of success. Right. And then I find others too that are kind of like that they're problematic and if they... Uh, use some tools to kind of moderate their drinking or their, you know, or drugging or, or a compulsive behavior of some kind that they, they do well and they kind of function well. Right. And I think it's just if it is a model for people either with less severe uh, substance use challenges or people who are uh, kind of need to address other things before um, approaching, like uh, getting committed to the abstinent model. Right, right. So if someone is, is kind of deciding to choose that moderation management, I would think one thing, it, would, it might be harder to find treatment in that modality. I don't right. know. Is that, is, would that be correct? Definitely. I think there are mostly like outpatient, like private practice clinicians. I find they have, sometimes they're more open, but most of the treatment centers, and there are few that they, uh, they have some groups for moderation management, but most of the programs, they require abstinent model. Right. So they, they kind of get, so if a, if a client is kind of on the fence about what they want to do, it, it might be helpful for them to find a, a private practitioner therapist or someone who's in private practice who can kind of help them get started at least. Right. And again, with alcohol is one of those tricky ones and they need to make sure they're working with someone who are familiar with the field of addiction and specifically with alcohol, because, you know, if you are, and I'm sure you're aware of that, that like you're like you had years of um, problematic, like excessive alcohol use and then you stop suddenly you might go to, like you might die so it's important to be to yes. work with someone who works with a physician so has some kind of a team even if it's an outpatient treatment right so someone that really knows what they're doing trained in addiction understands all the withdrawal and yeah that's very important a lot of people don't realize that right because they feel i mean even if the alcohol they say you oh, know it's not going to be a problem but it, it just it's important to work people who are really competent in this area 
Yeah, definitely. I would definitely agree with that. And um, it takes a very uh, unique skill to uh, deal with addiction and whatever model that you're working from. Um, it's definitely that that's definitely important. So share with me a little bit of how you would work with a, a client who came in. Maybe they had problematic drinking. What would you start to do with them um, when you start to work with them to to first, obviously, assessment, but then after that? Right. After that, we're going to have this honest conversation about that. Like, what does it require? Like, what's your goal? And whether, uh, whether are you ready to make the commitment to do this work? Because I feel like long-term abstinent model is an easier approach. Because I feel with moderation, you need to be more uh, vigilant and more uh, aware mm-hmm. and more like in, the, uh, in a monitoring mode most of the time. So I talked about, okay, what is your goal, where you are? So I do a little bit of motivational interviewing. I explore like pros and cons of moderation right. with them and help them to kind of explore their feelings and their goals and engage them and whether it's the right thing for them or not. If they decide it is the right thing for them, then we'll mo- uh, move forward. We're kind of like uh, doing some kind of, as you said, assessment, but more assessment around their pattern of drinking. So we're going to talk about that, uh, where are some of the places, some of the times, some people that they're usually drink with because we don't want we're gonna we want to change those patterns right right oh yeah you know i find when you start to kind of lay it out like that people start to make their own decisions to change if and that's motivational interviewing but they start to kind of see like you know this isn't really working for me and i don't really yeah and i feel behavioral changes can be huge for addiction model i definitely i believe in a deeper work but I think like behavioral model, for example, where are you drinking? For example, some of my clients, they, they go like after work through a certain route and there's a bar in the way and they drink there. So even changing the route can be helpful. Yeah. So they start to, to, to make those small changes, which end up with uh, big results sometimes. Right. Right. And again, just like helping people to have small wins. Is huge, even if it means that they cut back one drinking per uh, week. Uh, that's that's very important because we want to make sure that people feel um, su- feel successful through their journey. Because I know when it comes to addiction, it's really hard work. Many of the people had several failed attempts with reducing their uh, at risk drinking. So we want to make sure that they kind of feel some kind of agency, some kind of a uh, small wins, but something that still helped them to move forward with uh, their goal, whatever it is. And also sometimes give them some time frame because I think it's important to have some time frame. And we can talk about what is realistic and how long are you going to give this model a shot. For example, if someone's coming to me with a problematic addiction and they're not a problematic use, and I feel that they're more in it addiction part of continuum but they want to give it moderation a shot i am very honest with them say let's give this 90 days and see if this is something we can do working together and if not well what are our options right so kind of exploring their process with them so that they can kind of figure it out on their own and then if they decide for the abstinent model it, it tends to it seems like 
they're more motivated to take on that abstinence model if that's what they need. Right. And they, in future, they're not going to kind of explore, like, and at least based on my experience, they're not going to think, what if I could have done moderation? What if I go back to moderation? They know that they already gave this moderation a good shot and it didn't, it wasn't a good fit for them. Right. So they kind of go, okay, I know I need to do this. And I've had several clients who kind of go through that process when working with them. Um, and especially when you're in private practice and you, and you have more time to work with a client, it seems like. Right. You can have that process of that ability to explore that possibility and then, and then they can decide. And then, yeah, I've had clients who have decided like, okay, I, I just can't do this at all. Right. And I think I truly believe being engagement in a uh, treatment is a big challenge for people who are struggling with, uh, like when they have an unhealthy relationship with substances and behaviors. And if as a clinicians, we tell people like, you know, this is the only way, we turn many people off to treatment. And I think we're doing more disservice than helping them. Yeah, I think that's very true too. I, I found that a lot in my early work when we were very, very uh, strict with the abstinence model. A lot of a lot of clients, it seemed, uh, from my experience, would just would leave therapy altogether. And right. Then you didn't get to work with them at all, and they needed help. I mean, they knew they needed help. I knew they needed help, but it was almost like too much of a demand on them right. to start there. Right. And again, just like it's an, it's a huge problem. Addiction is a big problem, but we know that. When most people coming into the uh, clinics, to the therapists, the primary relationship, primary attachment they have is with their um, drug of choice, with the problematic behavior. And as therapists, the more we develop that relationship, we can support them more with like transitioning that attachment. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, uh, as you said earlier, it also gives you the chance to really build that rapport, it seems like. Right. And help people to see, put the hard work in and also help them to see things in a more realistic, through the more realistic lens. But I definitely have cases that they uh, managed like a moderation model well and they had good results for them. So I don't want people to think like the goal is like kind of helping people to go to abstinent model. We have, I personally have people that they they did the moderation things and it was sustainable for them at least for past few years. Right. And so they were able to live well and, and do well and felt good. And yeah, right. definitely. I've, I've seen that as well. What about, uh, you know, because in, in addiction treatment, there's a very uh, strong 12 step approach to, to treatment, which is a abstinence based model. Are there support? Are there other support groups or, other places that clients can go that when they're looking for more of this moderation management instead of the abstinence-based model? Right. I feel like I, I, I'm a big advocate of 12 Steps program, but I think one of the challenges is the uh, commitment to sobriety and like not using. Mm-hmm. So I, I know of several good groups locally that they do good work and uh, uh, with like Uh, moderation management but I don't know like the same kind of the programs similar to the 12 steps that are free and accessible for people focusing on moderation so if you know some (laughs) any of them I I would love to learn more 
Right. I was thinking of like smart recovery. Right. Uh, I think I think they're more moderation management. And then also, um, there's an, also another one that I had a client uh, go to, and he really enjoyed. It's called Life Ring, and right, it's all right. it's um, uh, they're more secular, but uh-huh. um, they're they more approach it from that moderation management uh, angle, where uh, they're not uh, saying this is this is the this is how it goes, <laughs> you know, abstinence only. Right, so. yeah, I had people with um, with life ring, and they, they attended life ring and smart recovery, and they really enjoyed the secular uh, model of it. But I didn't know it's a, they have like you can do the moderation there, which is fantastic. It's, I think having an option is very important. I think it depends on the group. I've had some where they go to a smart recovery group, and it's you know very abstinence based, and then they go to other ones that are very uh, you know moderation uh, focused. So. I think it kind of depends and, and uh, because I think those groups of support are so helpful for clients um, right. when in anything they're doing with addiction. I mean, it's, it's such a tough, tough thing to do. Right. And I think having support is such a big part, as you mentioned, part of recovery or like reducing the like amount of the use because I feel like regardless of where you are, most people feel shameful about their problematic relationship with substances and they kind of it's hard not to have the support and do the work so i think definitely groups are important yeah and it's it's you know it's understandable too that you know clients who are struggling with addiction um you know like you said earlier this is they have a um a relationship with either this behavior or this substance that allows them to function uh, in life and to deal with a lot of their underlying pain. So to sometimes just take it all away just uh, keeps clients from getting any help. Right. And I know that um, one of the models is like, you know, for I was like looking at one of the research that like for many people, because of where they are, like abstinence is long term is not uh, necessarily easy or feasible because mm-hmm. of how far they are in the uh, like addiction part, and I think just at least helping them with other alternative tools can be very helpful to kind of reduce the risk. Again, the similar with like methadone, people who are like opioid user, and like you know, with the, with the sharing the needle and all of those challenges. At least with methadone, it gives them, it makes them help them feel more stable. I had like clients that never had a job. And when they right. were on like um, the methadone treatment, they were able to uh, function uh, relatively well. So they were able to ch- make changes in their lives. Right. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Where they're, where they're able to function and they and they can hold a job um, because they're not out trying to uh, manage their addiction or to get their substance. So also part of the harm reduction model, I was just thinking, would be also about um, some of the places that provide. Uh, for heroin users, pr- provide clean needles, provide um, a safe place to uh, engage in that drug use, um, so that and and a place where they can get help at the same time. That would be also an example of that harm reduction model. Right, and I've seen like you know great results even in LA County for the areas that they do that because if they're coming in to get clean needles and like help them to kind of like with management of their challenges, they get somehow more engaged with treatment and people can support them and they know where to come in if they're ready to make any changes. So I think it's important to kind of create some kind of a relationship with people when they are in the midst of use. 
Yeah. And I, I worked at a clinic as well that, that did that. And a lot of these very, very um, heavy drug users uh, came in and, and they got that, you know, they were still using, but they, they came back and they got support and they would go to classes. All of them that I think from my experience, most people who are struggling with drugs want to stop. There's no, that wasn't almost in debate. You know, right. they'd either given up or at some deep level, they wanted to stop and they didn't enjoy the addiction at all. Right. And if they know that there are services that are not kind of like, they're not out there to get them, that there are to support them and they meet them where they are, it's more likely for them to at least uh, explore and entertain the idea of maybe I can give this a shot or maybe I can like manage it differently. Yes, definitely. And I think that, yeah, I totally agree with that. Well, um, I really want to thank you for, for coming on. Is there anything else that you would like to share about this or that you think our audience would benefit from? Um, sure. I, I, I wrote a blog post that I share with you about, like for people, if they want to reduce their uh, drinking, that I can okay. share with you and oh, yeah, share with the audience. And, I'll yeah. put that in the, in the show notes. That's going to be on the addictedmind.com slash 10. Yes, perfect. So Thank we'll, you. we'll put it in there. That would be great. And all your contact information. Do you want to share your contact information while we're here? Sure. People can, um, I would love to hear from people. You can contact me through my private practice website, which is oasis2care.com. Or you can check out my podcast, which is on psychology of sex, um, sexologypodcast.com. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thank you, Naz, for coming. I love talking with you and, right. and I love all your expertise. So thank you. Um, hopefully we'll do another one in the future as well. I love that. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. So thank you so much for listening today to the Addicted Mind podcast. If you'd like more information about this episode, you can go to the addictedmind.com forward slash 10. There I will link to all of Dr. Mowali's information and also link to the blog post that she talked about that you can check out. I think it'll be really helpful. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. 
New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.